All right, ladies and gentlemen, why don't we start with a word in prayer? Word of prayer. Let's ask God to bless us. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit. Father, we just thank you so much for the beautiful messages of health and healing. Lord, right now we need the greatest of all teachers and preachers, the Holy Spirit. Father, he is the great educator of truth. And so we pray, God, that you would show us how we can practically reach out to people. Thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, some of you guys know my testimony. Some of you guys don't. I was born and raised in Southern California. My parents come from Punjab, India. And so I grew up in two different cultures. I always like to say that inside my house, it smelled like curry outside. It smelled like hamburgers and apple pie. And so this is how I grew up. I also grew up going to secular colleges and universities. I uh, became an Adventist about 13 years ago. God really stepped into my life. But it was during my college age that I really began to really experience God. And generally, where you are called out of is the very place God uses you to bring other people out as well. So I found this over and over again. Those times or those moments or those experiences you go through when you were called out of darkness, God calls us back in there when we're saved to bring others out as well. Amen? So I have a burden for the college student age. That's where I became a Seventh-day Adventist. And so I always have a young adult ministry. I have a, a, just a, a college outreach I do as well. And we're developing some things in the future. And so oftentimes when you go to college campuses, I'm not talking about Adventist ones, I'm talking about secular colleges and campuses, universities. You will find that that place is generally a, what you may call an intellectual um, fort. And uh, you go there and there are many people who are steeped in atheism, steeped in secularism and philosophy and want nothing to do with Christianity or Adventism or anything spiritual. Many times we think to ourselves, how in the world am I going to reach out to those kinds of people? Well, I found something very interesting, something in the writings of Ellen G. White that blew me away. Now, this isn't for the faint-hearted. I just want to say that right now. Look what she says right here. It would be perfectly safe for our youth to enter the colleges of our land if they were converted every day. She actually says, you know what? It's perfectly safe for you to go to one of these secular campuses if you are converted every day. But if you're not converted every day, you better not be going there. Amen? Because many of these college campuses are just havens for where many people turn away from God. Where things are criticized to the point where you don't come out believing in anything. But it is these places that many of the world's young adults being shaped and transformed by philosophy, by naturalism, and by the teachings that come from the throne of Satan himself. But God call, doesn't call us to abandon those places and just say, well, that's good for you. We're going to keep doing evangelistic series. God also calls us to go reach out. Now, if you may be going to a Bible college or you may be going to an Adventist college, that's perfectly fine. But ladies and gentlemen, there are those who God has laid a burden on to go out and reach many of these young adults that are trapped in places like that and are learning things that is shaping them for the future. But God wants us not to abandon them, but he wants us to reach out. And if you are converted every day, it is perfectly safe for you to go to those colleges. If you are converted 
every day. This is a special burden on my heart. And this is something I want to share with you, some of the things that God has taught me. I'm going to share with you a video during this presentation. I'm also going to share my experience when I took a philosophy of science class. I take a bunch of philosophy classes at the local college. I do it for outreach purposes. I'm going to share with you an experience I had just a few months ago and the powerful things God did during that time. If you go there with the right motives and the right uh, heart and uh, just intentions, God will use you in powerful ways. Can you say amen to that? Amen. You know what's so interesting? Everybody take your Bible. Go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Paul deals with, in Acts chapter 17, a group of philosophers. But we also begin to discover something about philosophy itself. Philosophy is a branch of education. The word philosophy comes from two words, phileo and sophia, which means the love of knowledge. But it's a cop-out for exactly what it is. Okay? But what's interesting is during Paul's time, Greek philosophy was a prevalent view. And there were so many different kinds of philosophies that were shaping even Judaism and the Christian world. Paul entered into the heart of philosophy and he dealt with these philosophers. Acts chapter 17. Paul's preaching in Athens. He go to verse 19. Many of these Athenian philosophers wanted to hear from Paul. And look what the Bible says. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. Can you pronounce that word? A little louder? Does anybody know the translation? Mars Hill. Now what's very interesting about this particular place, this is where it starts getting really deep right here. This was a place where they would have intellectual debates philosophical speeches, they would also have, this would be a place where criminals can be tried on court. Now the word Mars Hills, you read about that word Mars, who was Mars? The God of War. The reason why it was called Mars Hill, because it was to be a place of intellectual combat. And ladies and gentlemen, when you are entering into the colleges of the land, you are entering into intellectual combat. Now I know there's definitely the heart issue, and that is primary. But I want you to understand that it is a place where you can be tested. And if you are not consecrated to the Lord Jesus, you will fall. Let's see how Paul deals with him. Saying, may we know what is this new doctrine that you, of, which is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. Now watch verse 21. Now we begin to understand in verse 21, under inspiration, what philosophy does. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear some new thing. Ladies and gentlemen, this purpose of this sort of philosophical debate, this intellectual arena, it really didn't do things to change their hearts. It was almost this intellectual stimulation that they would have and they would love hearing it, but it didn't do nothing to change them. 
And so this is very interesting because what you find in modern philosophy is that it's good for like table talk, but it really does nothing to change the soul. I have been to so many philosophy classes and I see how much hopelessness is pre presented to young adults. And when they're there, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. I just, my own heart gets stirred. Now, you look at me, I got some gray hair, but I can pass for a young adult pretty well. And so when I go to college, I wear shorts. Are you laughing at me? I don't dress like this. I go. I wear shorts. I dress like a college student, and uh, I go out to reach out to college students. And when I'm there, I take classes. And I have been to many philosophy classes. And let me tell you, much of it is just junk. And just these philosophers, even Paul was saying, they didn't do anything except sit around and just talk about some new thing. It was like the Starbucks of their day. <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> Make it relevant. Verse 22. Then, look what it says. Paul actually stands in the middle of this arena, and he begins to talk to them about the unknown God. Okay? Now, at that time, Greek philosophy was mixed with idolatry. And so, Paul begins to lead them through this understanding. Now, here's something to understand. Paul actually walked away learning some things. And he realized that only Christ and Him crucified could reach souls. But watch what happens at the end of his philosophy speech. It's very powerful. Verse 32, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some what? Mocked. In other words, the first response that you will get from some people in philosophy is that they will make fun of you. Watch the second response. While others said, we will hear you again on this matter. You know what the second response is? That's good. I'll have to check that out for myself. And both of these are a cop-out. But it's the, what's said next, which is why I believe in this ministry. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined them and believed among them Dionysus, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Ladies and gentlemen, oftentimes when you're dealing with philosophers and you're dealing with evolutionists, it's not about them that only who are the individuals who get convinced. It's about everybody else listening. It's about those who are listening. A lot of people say to me, why are you interested in apologetics? Look, I deal with skeptics, I deal with different individuals, philosophy teachers, but it's not just about them. Mostly it's about everybody else listening. In fact, when I share my experience, I'm gonna share how it was about the classmates, not just about the teacher who were affected. Ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to this, you have to realize that your audience and your target audience may be people who are just listening to what you're talking about or what you're presenting. But the question is, how do you deal with people who seem so versed in their scientific study? Or how do you deal with people who are so steeped in atheism and have these biases towards Christianity? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to share with you how one individual dealt with uh, evolutionary thinking. And it's done through questions. It's done through what? Questions. questions. There's an individual named Ray Comfort. Now, I don't agree with everything Ray Comfort says, but Ray Comfort just put out this documentary. I'm going to share with you 15 minutes of this documentary, and I want you to notice a few things because I'm going to ask you questions right at the end of this. Can we turn the lights off? Excellent. Turn that light off over there. <laughs> Most holy place now, please. 
Thank you.
I don't want something I have to accept by faith. I want it to be observable. Observable evidence. Well, I mean, if you're just asking me here on the street, there's not really much I can tell you in terms of observable evidence. Like, we would have to really examine existing data to draw conclusions of our own. I mean, have to have faith, then. We would have to have some amount of faith. And you think of any observable evidence for Darwinian evolution? Or is it to be a change of kind? A monkey to a man? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, a uh, change of kinds. I don't really believe there's any proof for that yet. Well, like you are the only one with a fifth digit, like we have. Koalas have a fifth digit. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Thank you. When I went to like Washington D.C., I saw the they had a whole exhibit just on the Smithsonian. Yeah, and oh, wait, so that is just like some stuff dummies like standing at a farm. The missing link for humans and whatnot. I believe that there are connections that are out there that we haven't found yet. I'm gonna trust what those experts did. Those experts uh, came up with. I have a strong trust in evolutionary ideas based on the evidence. Can you think of any observable evidence of Darwinian evolution of change of kinds? I haven't seen it myself, but I believe what the textbooks tell me about it, so. You've got faith in the expert? I have faith in the experts, yeah. I guess similar to how religious people have faith that God actually exists, I have faith in the experts knowing what they're talking about. The scientific methodist must be observable and repeatable. So could you give me one piece of observable evidence for Darwinian evolution? Okay, I would point to, and one great example is look at the genetics of the stickleback. What's that? Uh, so stickleback fish are a very interesting collection of species that were recently isolated after the end of the ice age. What have they become? They're, they're various species of sticklebacks. They stay as fish. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> fish. Human beings are still fish. Human beings are fish? Why, well, yes, of course they are. How long did that take? Millions of years, millions. Couple millions? How is that observable? It's not. We came out of the ground as a mammal. And one mammal created... Come out of the ground? Didn't come out of the sea? Uh, well, initially in the beginning, we came out of the ground and the sea after the great destruction of the... the so did we have lungs or gills when we came out of the sea? <laughs> those that were in the sea, I guess, had gills, and those that were on land had lungs. So if we came out of the sea, we had gills in the sea. You want to know something? Who knows that we came out of the sea or we came out of... We evolved from the An example of Darwinian evolution, not adaptation or speciation, but a change of kinds. <laughs> These are changes of kinds. So fish. They're distinctly different fish. For instance, I would say these experiments bacteria then. What do the bacteria become? The bacteria are still bacteria, of course. That's not that many evolution. That's not a change of kinds, is it? It is a change, it is a change in the genetic makeup of the bacteria, which is still bacteria. So what do the bacteria become? Uh, a new kind of bacteria. Still bacteria, there's no change of kinds. <laughs> to summarize, the observable evidence you give me for Darwinian evolution is bacteria becoming bacteria. No, it is bacteria acquiring new metabolic capabilities. You said before that 
there, there is lots of evidence for evolution. I just want one observable evidence for Darwinian evolution, not just one. But I give you some. You don't want not some. I want one. You don't want that. I want one. Yes, I do. I'm pleading with you that you asked me to tell you. You asked me to tell you when I've watched one species evolve into another. Isn't that right? No, one kind into another. There's 14. There's 14 different definitions of species. So I want a change of kind. When you're talking about kinds of changing families, you're, you're actually talking about, about macroevolution. You're talking about um, uh, changes on the level uh, that separates, say, cats from dogs. But you give me examples of Darwinian evolution. Well, uh, when you say examples of that, then you have to sort of look it over a longer time frame. It has nothing to do with faith. Faith is something that I have to unsee. I have to believe in. That's it. Unseen. Look, do you believe evolution? Of course I do. Are you a believer in evolution? Yes, I am. When did you start to believe evolution? I started to believe evolution when I started to think of, for myself. It's evolution of belief. Evolution is a is a thought process. It's, it's coming to terms and, and, and checking out all the all the alternatives. Like uh, taking a look at the the religion, man-made religions. Let me ask you again: Is evolution of belief? No, evolution is, well, yeah, in a, in a word, yeah, I can say it could be a belief. When you say change of kind, you mean the evolution of one species from another to another? Yes, we have that in action, actually, in the Galapagos. Could you give me one instance? Yes, we have an example from a group of birds called Darwin's finches. You take a look at the difference between the finches on the islands that all started out. I mean, that's very, very observed. But that's not Darwinian evolution. There's been no change of kind as much as the finches become. They become genetically new and anatomically new, recognizably different species. So they're still finches? Well, of course they're still finches, yes. Yeah. There's no change of kind. Little birds that he, uh, that he had observed that... Oh, what did they become? Um, their beaks, their beak shapes. They're still birds. Yes, three finches attending to different types of birds. They're still finches. Well, for example, Darwin and, and his study on evolution of the birds on the island that he went on to there. Their beaks changed? Their beaks. Uh, they're still birds. There's no change of kinds. That's within the kind. Evolution on the beaks. That's so that's called adaptation. It's not Darwinian evolution. There's no change of kinds. There's no different animal involved. I want something that shows me Darwin's belief in the change of kinds is scientific. Darwin spoke of a change of kind. Can you think of any observable evidence for Darwinian evolution with this change of kind? I think. Um, 
hard question, I think. <laughs> Could you get the example? No, it's just one for Darwinian evolution. Yeah, let me think about that for a second. Um, <laughs> observable evidence. Well, we don't have to exercise faith. Something that can be observed, like the scientific process, observable. Hmm, that's a good question. That one I'm not quite sure. You can't think of any observable evidence for evolution? No. How do you know it's true? So Darwinian evolution is not observable, it's not scientific. I guess so. So it's unscientific, you can't prove it. Scientific actually, you could prove it. It could be proven, just do it for me. Ah, that's hard, I don't got, I don't, it's just, that's just too broad of a... Of... Unobservable, that's why you need millions of years. Yes, exactly. Well, you're trusting the biology majors and the biology professors know what they're talking about, yeah, and they can't even give me, a, they can't even give me evidence of the change of kinds. Well, I'm... Well, then there isn't one. If they don't give it, then I don't... I wouldn't say that was. I just see what I learned from... What do you believe? Yeah. You know what that's called? What? Blind faith. Blind faith. Faith is the great comment, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Which is your case. Do you believe in intelligent design? Of course not. Do you think everything is intelligently designed? Um... No, I don't believe that. Things are intelligent. Okay. You seem like an intelligent person, so I'm going to ask you something. I'd like you to make me a rose, okay? How would you make a rose? I don't have the, the, the capabilities. No, hang on. No, it's not intelligently designed, so you should better look me up a rose real quick. You believe a rose is intelligently designed? Definitely not. In order for me to know what to make, I have to know what a rose is. Well, it's got a seed, so you've got to start with nothing and you've got to create a seed from nothing. Oh. Can you do that? No, I can't. Could you make a rose from nothing? No. Can't really make something from nothing. It's it's just basic, you know, science. A rose from nothing? A rose. Just like, like I can't, honestly. Why not? Me, I just, I have no supernatural abilities. Well, the genius is not going to make a grain of sand from nothing. We don't know where to start. I can't. Why not? I don't have millions, billions of years. And that would be practically impossible. I mean, that would have to, that's, that's not possible. So how could you say everything's not intelligently designed? Where does that leave you on the scale of intelligence? If you say everything's not intelligently designed and you can't even make a rose? Why do you think there's no one teaching intelligent design at UCLA? Because they're not allowed to. We can teach anything we want. There's a reason intelligent design isn't taught in our learning institutions. According to physicist Peter Stinger, the legal staff of Freedom From Religion Foundation, a church-state watchdog group, has had remarkable success in convincing many institutions, such as school boards and town councils, that they are breaking constitutional law when they sponsor sectarian activities. That includes intelligent design. When the authorities can't be convinced, Freedom From Religion Foundation sues, and it wins more often than not. There was nothing at the beginning, big explosion of nothing, it became something and then it came into a rose. And giraffes and horses and cows. I'm not saying that uh, that's what happened. I'm just saying I don't know what happened. That's what that's what that's what scientists are, are, have theorized has happened, and you believe them to a point. So you've got faith. That is true. Yeah. Could you give me a definition of vestigials? How's that back up? Vestigial is uh, it's like 
I'm not allowed to sound kind of fuzzy here, but it's it's like a remaining organ that is not used, like for instance our appendix. Uh, rabbits have huge appendix for digestion of grass. We still have a vestigial appendix. Or appendix has no use? Which we can pick up right now. You're a coxibone. <coughs> you know, many people regard that as the tail of the humans. The human tailbone is said to be vestigial. That is, it's an evolutionary leftover proving that we're related to primates. However, it's not a tailbone, it's the coccyx vertebrae. The tailbone derived its name because some people believe it's a leftover part from human evolution, though the notion that the tailbone serves no purpose is wrong. The coccyx is an extremely important source of attachment for tendons, ligaments, and muscles. Evolutionists also claim that the appendix is vestigial, but it's not. The appendix is actually part of the human immune system. According to Scientific American, for years, the appendix was credited with very little physiological function. We now know, however, that the appendix serves an important role in the fetus and in young adults. Among adult humans, the appendix is now thought to be involved primarily in the immune functions. I would consider myself an atheist. Can you think of any famous atheist? Uh, I believe um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson said, I can't agree to the claims by atheists that I'm one of that community. Any name with you? Uh, famous atheists. Apparently uh, not. Uh, start with Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton said, the most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the council and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. Can you think of any famous atheists? Yeah, no. A famous atheist. Yeah, a famous atheist. Yeah, my dad. Famous atheists are detective in Congress. But more often than not, the famous personalities cited are not actually atheists. This is a popular atheist poster on which are Ernest Hemingway, Abraham Lincoln, Carl Sagan, Mark Twain, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, Albert Einstein, and Charles Darwin, along with the words, atheism, good enough for these idiots. Clearly, atheism is for intellectuals. But one moment, Abraham Lincoln wasn't an atheist. He said, I know that the law is always on the side of the right, but it's my constant anxiety and prayer that I and this nation should be on the Lord's side. Neither was Carl Sagan. He clearly stated, I am an agnostic. Mark Twain hated religion, but he certainly wasn't an atheist, saying, none of us can be as great as God, but any of us can be as good. Benjamin Franklin said, God governs in the affairs of men. You'll find Thomas Edison listed on celebrity atheists, on positive atheism, and other atheist websites, but he wasn't an atheist. He said, there is a great directing head of people and things, a supreme being who looks after the destinies of the world. Thomas Jefferson said, say nothing of my religion, it is known to myself and my God alone. Albert Einstein rejected the Bible as the word of God and said that the creator was unknowable and that God being personal was childlike. He lamented, in view of such harmony in the cosmos which I, with my limited human understanding and able to recognize, there are yet people who say there is no God. Well, what really makes me angry is that they quote me to support such views. He categorically said, I am not an atheist. And when referring to those who deny the Creator, he used the term fanatical atheists. 
Charles Darwin said, I have never been an atheist. So out of the eight famous men on the poster, there was only one who was an atheist, Ernest Hemingway. According to his biographer, back in 1961, Hemingway, quote, pushed two shells into the 12-gauge Boss shotgun, put the end of the barrel into his mouth, pulled the trigger, and blew out his brains. There's your poster boy when it comes to atheism. Right, if we can turn the lights on. Now you can actually find the rest of the video. There's only about 20 minutes left on YouTube. The whole video is there. I highly recommend watching it just because of the fact. You see how this man was simply dealing with what takes place on the college campuses. See what you are viewing there is something that is something that's there every single day. What's being taught in classrooms. Yet when you actually begin to ask right questions, you find a lot of it just simply has a lot of holes. Now, the purpose of this class isn't just to say to yourself, well, we want just good ways to defeat atheists or good ways to stump philosophers. No, no, no. That is what actually evangelical Christianity promotes. What I'm interested in and what you should be interested in, whose heart is open in listening to some of these things? Remember I read that quotation from you earlier when Ellen White says, it is perfectly safe to send our youth to the what? Colleges of the land, if what? They are converted every day. That may not be your calling. I know it's part of mine though. I really have a burden for college students, for young adults, because I have been through what they go through. And my heart goes out. And I really believe the world right now is being shaped by what happens in those college classrooms. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna share a short experience with you. I took a philosophy of science class, okay? And I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to use this class as an outreach opportunity. I'm going to put to practice some of the things I've learned from the Bible. And it's simply this. Number one, I am going to be determined that regardless of how people respond to me, I'm going to be a Christian gentleman. Amen? I'm not here to enter this class to get into some type of emotional argument, cause fighting, so people walk away and know that Christianity has been vindicated. No, no, no. I'm going to be a Christian gentleman regardless of how people treat me. Number two, I'm going to gain the favor of the teacher. Amen. Now you're thinking to yourself, you want to be a teacher's pet? Precisely. Do you know somebody in the Bible who gained the favor of one of its leaders? Daniel. Remember the story of Daniel, right? He gained the favor of who? Ashpenaz. One of the things I put to practice was I gained the favor of the teacher. I said to myself, you know what? I'm just going to be nice to the teacher. I'm going to be friendly to the teacher. And I'm going to care for her good. And so I just, when I entered into classrooms, I said to myself, that's what I'm going to do. The third thing is I'm going to be careful of atheistic literature. Now here's the thing. By beholding, we become change. Amen? And there is a lot of literature that is put out in secular college and universities. Here's the best word of advice I'll ever give you when it comes to taking classes like that. Number one, if it's atheistic, agnostic, it's criticizing your belief, don't read it. Do what I did. When it comes to test time, memorize the vocabulary and then read Wikipedia articles on the people. It actually works. <laughs> Trust me, it's way better than reading that garbage. 
way better. And if you think you're smarter than the devil, you have something to learn. Fourth thing I can tell you is learn to ask smart questions. I didn't say learn to ask annoying questions. When you take a good look at Luke chapter 2, you find about Jesus, the way he overcame the prejudices of the teacher, he learned to ask smart questions. And this is something that we as Seventh-day Adventists, we're really good at giving right answers, but we're horrible at asking the right questions. Do you know Jesus? In his, you look at the four Gospels, I have a worksheet that actually gives him 100 questions Jesus asked in the four Gospels. Why? Because Jesus was awakening some of the things in people's hearts as he was asking the question. And as people came to the answers, there was a self-realization that they had been in error. And this is something you need to pray for and develop. The fifth thing is you need to be praying for the Holy Spirit and divine appointments. Can you say amen to that? Amen. If you're not praying for the Holy Spirit, it's absolutely useless for you to try to reach out. The Bible says not by might, not by power, but by what? The Holy Spirit. And if you're praying for the Holy Spirit every single day, God will use you in remarkable ways. Now, the reason why I'm sharing this class is not so much about particular arguments, but rather methodologies. Now, I'm not a science major. I want you to understand that. I am not a philosophy major. However, from my studies of Spirit of Prophecy and the Bible and other books that I read, I felt it would be very good for me to take a class. So I took this philosophy of science class. And let me just let you know, the teacher, she introduced herself. Her name was, she was an atheist. She made it very clear. Her name was Judy Kane. Like Cain who killed Abel. <laughs> Made that very clear. That was her name. I knew I was in for some trouble. And I said to myself, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to tell people I'm a pastor. The very first day, she's like, all right, tell us your name and what you do for a living. <laughs> and so when it came around to me, I said, my name's Anel, and I'm a pastor <laughs> and everybody just looked at me and they smiled because many of them biology students and they were going into studying medicine uh, just becoming just science majors is what they were and so it was just kind of this moment of just awkwardness tension as they looked at me and I just kept my eyes focused on straight ahead <laughs> but here's the thing I determined that I was going to put these principles to use and I did God really blessed and let me tell you something, in that class were some of the most vociferous atheists I have ever come across. And let me tell you, they have a big problem with Christianity. But I was praying every single day for the Holy Spirit. In fact, I started an evangelistic series in Mountain View, California, which was an hour and 45 minutes away. I actually would go there to preach and come back just on class time because I believe God called me there for a mission. The teacher... About the second week into class, she says, we're going to dedicate the last month to dealing with creationism. And that's the month we started this series. And I was like, Lord, I need your grace. <laughs> and I would go preach, come home on my day off just to take the class and then drive back. Okay. So the last month she dedicated to creationism, attacking creationism. And I was thinking to myself, okay. You know what? I see so many people just influenced. Some of the things she was teaching about determinism, I just saw the negative effect and the hopelessness that many of these students were being presented with. You see, very impressionable age when you're going to college and you're hearing a bunch of garbage. And so I was praying for the Holy Spirit. And I never forgot, 
One day, she was talking about why creationism fails the scientific tests. One of the students, she's far right, she's like, and you know, those people who believe in the Bible, and whenever they talked about the Bible in a negative way, it was like, we're talking about you, Anel. But it, that's how it felt. <laughs> and so while the, she was there, when the, she raised her hand, she says, and those people who believe in the Bible, they try to say kinds as sort of an excuse, and they try to get over these things. And I said, okay, it's time for me to raise my hand and ask a question. So I raised my hand and asked the question. I said, but when you do study the fossil record, where are the transitional species? And as soon as I said that, that student, you know what she did? She yelled at me. She was like, this is her exact words. This isn't Pokemon. That's what she said to me, just like that. You know, I was looking for transitional species and she, you know, the whole Pokemon looking for those things. And she yelled, everyone started laughing, but you know what? I determined I was not gonna respond in an angry way. Because I made that determination, I was gonna be a Christian gentleman from the very beginning. Amen. And so I was there, I just nodded my head, I said, okay, cool. And I just looked ahead, and then the student who's on the left side, he was actually going to law school, and then he gets on his rant and he's like, and those creationists, they try to say the world is only 6,000 years old, and then he just kept looking at me while he was saying it too. And he's like, and you take a rock that's 2.5 million years old, and they're trying to say 6,000 years old, when are they gonna just stop? And he was just yelling like this, like over and over again. I was just like, there's some mean people today in class. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing, I continue to pray. And that was the day that I didn't, you know, I walked away and I was like, oh, praise the Lord, God wants, you know, I was really burdened in my heart. And I said, God, I'm gonna pray for the right words at the right time when it's most needed. Amen. And I continue to do that. You know what's so interesting? Came down to the last day of class. Last day of class. This is exactly what happened. Those two loudmouths weren't actually there that day. I believe it was really providential. <laughs> she's, going over the, she's going over the National Science of Academy, its criteria for science. And I raised my hand and I said, can we re-examine number four? She said, yes. She, she was going to why creationism fails these criteria of science. And I said, number four says um, empirical testability. I said, when, how do you empirically test Macroevolution, I said, because when you take a good look at macroevolution, it's the fastest evolution that has great morphological changes over a short period of time. And I was like, what did I just say? <laughs> no joke, I said it just like that. And she said, okay, well, the way we test it is that you have to go back and look at the fossil record and see if the evidences of macroevolution are there. I put my hand up again. This was the last 15 minutes of class. I said, but when you examine the fossil record, it's not continuous, it's discontinuous. And you know what she said? She said, you're right about that. And then I raised my hand right after that. No joke, just like that. And I really believe the Spirit of God was talking because I believe this was a solemn moment where God was trying to break through. And I said, wouldn't you agree over the last hundred years, there has been such a pressurization to make this theory fit that there has been an abundance of hoaxes. And she said, you're right about that. And then I raised my hand one more time after that. 
And everyone was just looking, and I said, how many alterations does the theory need before it's finally dismissed? And then she said, that's why we're here. And she says, class, we're finished. And she just left it like that. And it was just this moment where just, I really believe God was just trying to make one last statement. But let me just tell you something. It wasn't just about making a statement. Because as soon as we're done, this guy's like, hey, man, I want to talk to you. <laughs> I said, okay. So walk outside. And he's like, look, man, I don't believe in anything you talked about. I said, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, I don't believe in anything supernatural. I'm a biology student. He says, I only believe in that which is natural. I said, you ever study the Bible? He said, yep, I used to be a Roman Catholic. Used to. I said, have you ever studied the books of Daniel and Revelation? He's like, no. I said, you give me three weeks to study the book of Daniel and Revelation with you, and if you make a decision that this is all that there is, that's fine. That's your business. But I said, you give me three weeks. He said, all right. So we got a Bible study when I get back. <laughs> Hold on a second. We're not done yet. I walked back into the classroom, and it's so funny because as soon as I sat down in that classroom, this guy's right next to me. He's like, hey, what'd you write your term paper on? And I was like, I wrote it on intelligent design. What'd you write yours on? He's like, I wrote it on quantum physics. And I was like, hey, man, can I check out your paper? You can check out my paper? He's like, yeah, I'd be interested. Got his phone number. Let me tell you something. He now comes to my Friday night Bible studies. We're not done yet. On the last day. What was interesting, as soon as I had asked those questions, the guy that was sitting on the left of me, it was like the Lord placed me providentially in that corner. <laughs> he turns to me and he gives me a high five. And I, I just didn't think much about it. And then I thought about it. And I was like, why did you give me a high five? <laughs> Found out. He's actually dating a backslidden Adventist. <laughs> now, you could say amen or you don't. But either way, he's, it was just interesting because now we're in contact. We're talking to each other. Hold on, but we're not done yet, though. <laughs> One of the angry ones was sitting next to me. He wasn't there. Okay, you know what this brother did? I mean, he just did not like me. There was tensions. We would kind of get in it. I was just always trying to be a Christian gentleman. But we'd get into it. He was very smart. And I just thought, I'd never see him again. I went to Best Buy. <laughs> I went to Best Buy to look at some computers. And lo and behold, who's working there? That brother. <laughs> And so I walk up to him, and I'm just talking with him and just connecting with him. And, uh, you know, I was just praying. You know, I was like, Lord, you brought me here again. Open up another opportunity. This just happened, by the way, in the last two or three months. And uh, so we're talking. His manager comes along. He's like, hey, I got to go. So he left, and I was like, okay, God, maybe I lost that one. And I just felt this impression. Go back and talk to him. And I was like, I don't want to talk to him. He's just going to yell at me. <laughs> and you know how you fight with the Lord? And I said, okay, I walked right back up to him. You know, and I, you know, when you're trying to get a guy's phone number, you've got to act macho sometimes. You know what I mean? <laughs> guys just don't ask for other guys' numbers. <laughs> and so I'll use the term like bro, man, dude, you know, things like that. You know, and that's, you know, especially in this day and age, you know, things are being misinterpreted. So I walked up to him and I was just like, you know, I was like, so man, I was like, yeah, how you doing? He's like, good. He's like, you said you're a pastor, right? I said, yeah. He's like, that's cool. I said, really? He's like, when did you become a Christian? And I said, about 13 years ago when I was in college. And he's like, that's interesting because most people, when they go to college, they turn away from the Bible. And as soon as he was saying that, I was recognizing what? Spiritual interest in him. I said, hey, bro. Just like that. 
I said, we have a Friday night Bible study. You should come to it. You'd be willing to come to it. He's like, yeah. I go, there's home cooked food. So I got his information. He's just waiting for an invitation to come to my Friday night Bible study. Can you say amen to that? We're not done yet. Because I wrote my term paper on intelligent design. I actually wrote too much. I thought it was like 18 pages. I, it was supposed to be five to 10 pages, okay? I wrote 18 pages, okay? And I laid out the intelligent design argument, and I simply said, I talked about probability of this universe coming to existence, probability of our sun, our galaxy. It's, it's just astronomical. And I said, I believe in God. I have faith in God, but take, I don't have that much faith. And I ended the argument, I ended the whole paper with an appeal to the teacher to become a believer in the Lord Jesus. <laughs> Challenge with Jeremiah 29, verse 11. I aced it. Praise the Lord. But you know what's interesting? I found out she was really sick. I even got her a cookbook on the last day. Ladies and gentlemen, this is just what happened. But I went in there not trusting myself. I didn't go in there with determination. I'm going to be there just to defend Christian. I wanted to go there to reach souls. And ladies and gentlemen, if God can use somebody who's as dumb as me, I know he can use somebody like you. Amen? Because you're much more smarter than me. You're much more smarter than me. But ladies and gentlemen, I really believe that there are fields of witnessing right now. And there are opportunities for go, us to go out to reach the world. But God is not looking for people who are extremely intelligent or educated in a particular field. He's looking for people who are willing and willing to be consecrated to him every single day. I remember I walked out of that classroom, opened up my Bible in Isaiah, and it says, Blessed are you that sow among all waters. And I knew God affirmed what took place. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe God wants to use you in powerful ways to reach this world. It's not about knowledge. It's about character. And if you go in there with the right, right heart, right mind, and open to God's leading and guiding, He will use you to reach the most, uh, most intelligent people in this world. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to end this presentation with a word of prayer. Let's ask Jesus to use us wherever he wants us to be. Father in heaven, he said, let not the rich man boast in his riches, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the mighty man boast in his might, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows me. And God, our only claim to fame is that we know the God of the universe, but we want others to know you. And we pray that whatever calling you have for us, May we be open to reaching people. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.